talk to us this morning about stewardship. I think uh, between Thanksgiving and the season of celebrating God's great gifts to us and His goodness is a good time to talk about our giving. If you're visiting with us this morning, I assure you we don't talk about money and tithing and stewardship all the time, but to be faithful to the scripture, we must talk about it some of the time. And this is the time when we have sent out, if you are a member of the church, you should have received this week a letter and a copy of the uh, summary copy of our budget for next year. Looking at that, you should see it runs pretty flat. Um, But as we think about seeing that budget met for next year, I want to take some time to look at this whole issue of being shrewd with our money in a biblical sense. So we are in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Luke 16. Hear then the word of God. He also said to his disciples that there was a rich man, and he had a manager, and charges were brought against him, that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him, and he said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what am I going to do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg, I have decided what to do. So that when I am removed from my management, people will receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill, write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning and we sit at your feet. We long for you to speak to us and to speak into our lives and to challenge us, to shape us, to tell us the truth and to lead us into a life that is pleasing to you. Change us by your word and by your spirit. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This parable has given commentators a lot of trouble through the years. It's It's got some difficulties in it. Uh, as you probably picked up as you went through, a couple things that are said and done. But I really think just the bottom line of this, is I'm going to show you before we're done, is it's just a parable about being smart. It's a parable about being shrewd with money. You know, it's been said that if you want to know 
what a person is living for, if you want to know what a person really loves, what a person really values, you need to just look at two things. Right? You look at their calendar and their checkbook. Where do they invest their time and where do they invest their money? Where do they give themselves? Driving this whole parable is the question that I want us to keep in mind. As you hear the rest, as we unpack this parable of Jesus that he tells to his disciples, verse 1, he says to his disciples, because ultimately I think this question is to you and me. In verse 2, the master says to his steward, what is this that I hear about you? What is this that I hear about you? See, accountability, I think, is at the core of this parable. You know, our accountability. And what is this that I hear about you? What is the report? If, if that question were asked to us today in regards to what he's touching on here, our stewardship and our money, and God were asking that question of us today as his stewards, what is this that I hear of you? How would we answer? Where would we be in our answer to that question? Because we need to hear it addressed to each of us. What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. Piper says, his comment on this, it's in your bulletin there. He says, can you pass the test of faithfulness with your money? Do you use it as a means of proving the worth of God and the joy that you have in supporting his cause? Or does the way you use it prove that what you really enjoy is things, not God? In other words, Piper is saying what has often been said, that a key indicator of our heart value, the key indicator of what our heart loves and values, is how we use money. Money is the currency of this life in so many ways. Now, we did notice he's talking to the disciples in verse 1, but down in uh, verse 14, the, the verse after this end says that the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things. And so even though he's talking to his disciples and he's trying to teach something to his disciples, the Pharisees who are lovers of money are also listening in. And so Jesus knows this and this parable comes. He says there's a rich landowner. He has a servant who manages affairs. You need to think Joseph when you hear of this guy. It's there in your bulletin. In Genesis 39, Potiphar made him, that is Joseph, overseer of his house. And he put him in charge of all that he had. Right? Think Joseph. This is, this is the guy, the rich landowner who has a manager of, of all that he possesses. And immediately in verse 1, we're made aware of the problem. Right? The tension in the story. Which is, the steward has been wasting the master's possessions. And he's about to be fired. And the guy has a dilemma. He knows, the guy said, basically, go get the books in order. What is this I've heard? Come give an account of your management. So he goes to get the books in order. But he's thinking, as I do this, I know when I bring them and give an account of my management, it's all over for me. And so what is he going to do? He's got this dilemma. What will I do in my afterlife, right? in my life after stewardship, you know, in my life when, when I lose this job, my time is up? What will I do in my afterlife? He says, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too proud to beg. What am I going to do? And so he devises a plan, a shrewd though dishonest plan. Well, he still has the books in his hands of going and, and basically giving away the master's possessions to win friends and influence people so that when the day comes in his, in his afterlife, he will have somewhere to go, people who would be indebted to him. And so by investing the master's money, he can secure his future. 
Now, parables can be tricky. There are some difficulties because Jesus uses worldly situations to communicate spiritual truths. And so there are some things in here that, that portray this worldly situation. It's not unlike if you, a lot of us are really familiar with the parable of the unjust judge. It's also called the parable of the persistent widow. It's about a widow, a woman, who feels that she has been wronged and slighted in, in the law. And she comes to the judge pleading for justice. And we're told explicitly in, in, the, in the parable that the judge is not just. And he doesn't care for the widow's cause. And it says that the widow, though, would come to him night and day pleading her cause. And it says that the, the judge ultimately grants her her plea, not because he's, he specifically says, not because he cares about the widow or her cause, but because of her persistence. And so the point of that parable, if, if the danger is to start saying, well, God, is God like the unjust judge? And the point of Jesus' parable is not that God is like the unjust judge. In fact, it's a contrast. If an unjust judge will grant your petition because of your persistence, how much more would a God who loves you and who is just answer your petitions? And then so the whole point of the parable is this. He says, so I tell you, right, pray and don't give up. Be persistent in prayer. That's the point of the parable, persistence in prayer. He's, pr- he is, he's, he's commending a, a character trait. And so the character trait here, end of verse 8. The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing in their own generation than the sons of light. So I'm telling you, make friends for yourselves. Uh, Be shrewd with your money, he says. You know, use by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails. Right? And so if you were to sum up then in this, what is Jesus' point is to be shrewd. It's just like persistence in prayer is shrewdness with our money in a godly and biblical sense in contrast So Jesus' point, as he finishes the parable, I believe he begins to make his point in verse 8 through the end is Jesus' commentary on the parable as he brings home the punchline and, and gives us that understanding. For the sons of this world, they are more shrewd in their dealings with their own generation than the sons of light are. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves. Use your wealth so that when it fails, you will be received into eternal dwellings. Now, the people in this world are smart. They're clever. They're making money hand over fist, right? They're buying things and investing in, in the comfort and security and, and uh, all that you can buy in this life to secure, and they're, they're laying up for themselves to secure their future, as many of us are. And his point, Jesus' point here, is Christians should be shrewd too with the way they handle money. Now, the twist is going to be, in terms of what, defines shrewdness for a Christian and his money. But a Christian should be shrewd with his money. He should use the same passion and the same wisdom in investing his worldly riches and and possessions, stuff, in true riches, true security. Right, And when he's saying investing his money, the word mammon that's used a couple of times in here, and most of you have heard that before, but I'll say it again, it's hard to translate. It's more like a word that, that means wealth than money. And, and wealth is a better word because wealth is more than cash money or gold. Wealth is, is, is money and all that it can buy. It's the lands that you own. And in those days, it was more lands and cattle and 
clothes and stuff, you know, and, little, and, 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 and money and gold, but it's, it's money and the stuff that it can buy, the wealth. And he says the sons of this world, you know, they don't believe, so they only have hope for this world. They only have hope for this life. And so wisdom for them, right, cleverness, shrewdness for them is to obtain their earthly future by investing their wealth and their security in this life. Their highest concern is a material security, right? A material comfort. And Jesus' point is that God's people, our hope is not in this world. This world is not our home. It's, It's fleeting like a shadow. It's like the grass that grows today and it's gone tomorrow. Again and again, the scripture uses all kinds of pictures to try to tell us that life is short. This is, this is but the antechamber. This is just the outside. This is just the preparation for real life, eternal life. Life that is not only long, but is different and rich and is the life of God in his presence. And he says, we, we don't have hope. Our destiny is eternal. He brings that out in verse 9 at the end. He says, when he's telling them, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by using your unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, you may receive, be received into eternal dwellings. Your hope is you know, your, your hope is an eternal hope. It's a hope beyond this life and this world. And as we think about money, we need to think with that perspective. <clears throat> and so he delivers the punchline in verse 9. And I believe that's when he says, I tell you. I tell you, do it this way. In some ways, the same shrewdness that the world uses with a different goal, eternal dwellings, not, not like this a steward in the parable who is out for just his life after stewardship. Eternal dwellings. He says, so I tell you, use your money shrewdly with an eternal perspective. Isn't that what verse 9 is saying? Use your money with an eternal perspective. That's what it means coming off of verse 8. Sons of this world are shrewd. Why aren't the sons of light as shrewd with money as the world is? Use the unrighteous wealth. To secure your future, shrewdly, wisely, so that when it fails, the wealth of this world has an expiration date. Right? It was Job who said, naked I came into the world, and naked I will go out. Right? I came in, I didn't have anything as I came into the world, and as I go out, I'm going to go out as I came. You can't take it with you. It, it has an expiration date. It, and while it is nicely here, it doesn't last. It doesn't carry over into the next life in the way that we accumulate it. He says, so when it fails, you will be received into eternal dwellings. Eternal hope should govern our thinking and our use and our investing of money in this life. I think Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 6. It's there in your bulletin as he is making this point. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, it will fail. And when it fails, right? don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Think about the life after this life as you think about how you use money in this life. That, that age to come governs what we think now, whether because <clears throat> there neither rust destroys nor thieves break in and steal, where it will not fail. So Jesus, in summary, is saying this. Hear me, sons and daughters of light. Be shrewd. Be smart with your money. Use it. Give it. Invest it with eternity in mind. 
Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Right? You hear that as a message. That's Jesus, I think, the summary of what Jesus is saying there. So let me just make some points. Five ways that I think Jesus is saying what it means for you as a Christian to be shrewd coming out of this passage. Because the whole point of this, just like be persistent in prayer, is be shrewd with your money. So what, what does it mean for you to be shrewd with your money? Number one, I think coming out of this parable is shrewd with your money is to understand and acknowledge that God is the owner and the master of all things. In, in this whole sense of stewardship, he owns everything. Right in verse 12, he says, if you've not been faithful in that which is another's. Right, and so that's one of the governing thoughts. That which is not yours. It belongs to him. The stuff of this life is on loan. It's not ours. And so, you know, it's not even a 10% belongs to him. If I tithe, you know, and 90% is mine. There's this, there is a, a governing sense that God is the Lord and owner of all things. And what we do with all of it is of concern to him. We are temporary stewards of God's good gifts. Second, shrewd means faithfulness. God is the owner of all things, and so shrewd for a steward means faithfulness. That's where he starts in verses 10 through 12. That's what he says over and over again. One who is faithful. One who is faithful in very little will be faithful in much, or dishonest or unfaithful in little. You know, if then you who have not been faithful in what is an unrighteous wealth, how Will he entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another, how will he give you that which is your own? And the issue in this is faithfulness, you know, accountability. Shrewd means be faithful. Good stewards are faithful. That means they use their possessions in the way the master desires, right? That's faithfulness for a steward. See, the steward is not to use the the possessions in his own way. What makes a faithful steward is to use them as God desires, as the master desires. See, the steward in this parable was dishonest. When he started giving away his master's possessions, you and I both know that's dishonest. That's one of the troubles that people have in dealing with this whole thing is that the master comes and commends his shrewdness, not his dishonesty. And that is a key line to make. But the whole point that I think that Jesus is making in this is that the the, the steward in the parable was dishonest when he was generous with the master's possessions. But a steward in God's kingdom is actually faithful when he's generous with the steward's possessions. Right? He's actually he's saying that, that we should act just like the steward in the parable. The only thing is, for that guy, it was dishonest because it's not what his master wanted him to do with the wealth. But for us, we should do exactly what that steward did because that's what our master wants us to do. He wants us to be generous and to give and to use and to invest, to win friends and influence people for the kingdom of God and for eternity. He wants to have an eternal impact with his money. You know, the money that he has given into the stewardship of his people. He says, win friends, influence people, advance the kingdom of God, advance your holdings, our holdings, my holdings, my kingdom. Use it, give it away. A shrewd and faithful steward is one who gives generously. It is also shrewd then to live with an eternal perspective. It's to understand that God is the master and owner of all things. It means faithfulness, but it also means then an eternal perspective. Right? The age to come determines how we live now, and that seems to govern in this whole passage. Shrewd is to see the true value of things, to see what really matters and then live Live 
for what really matters. Right? You see in verse 10 where he's talking about uh, faithfulness, and he says, he who is faithful in very little. Right? And he's talking about the, as he does in the next verse, in terms of the unrighteous wealth. The very little sums up what we have in this life. It's very little because it's temporary. It doesn't last. It's very little because you can't take it with you. It's very little because it's not the true riches that, that we'll have then. He says if, we, you know, if everything in this life and under our stewardship, he calls very little. Compared to verse 11, true riches. In verse 12, what is our very own and we will keep for an eternity. Worldly possessions are little because they are temporary. They feel like they're ours. They feel like we can get our fingers into them. We feel like we're in control. But he says in the end, they will fail you. No, they're very little because they're not permanent. They're temporary. They're not even ours, which is why at some point they'll be taken away. Our stewardship will be taken away. And we'll give an account of that stewardship. And he says in terms of true riches and what that would be our very own in the life to come. It was Jim Elliott, and I think it, you've heard me say it before, and I love this quote by Jim Elliott. It is one that I learned when I was young. It comes to me again and again and again. That helps to govern life. And particularly, I mean, it, it's a good quote in almost any context, but I think it fits very nicely in this whole discussion of worldly possessions and mammon and money. It was Jim Elliott who said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that what he is saying in verse 9? I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of using this unrighteous mammon to give what you cannot keep so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings, true riches, that which is your very own, that you would have much to gain what you cannot lose. A shrewd is to understand that God is the owner. That we are the stewards. That we're called to faithfulness. Faithfulness with an eternal perspective. And it means that shrewdness means that then we would be generous givers. And that is a theme that runs through the entire scripture. From the beginning of the Old Testament to the end. With the whole concept of the tithe. And giving a 10%. And the offerings that would come above that. And giving to the poor. And God's people. And, and, and God's anger as the Old Testament ends. Is that you're not being just toward the poor. You're not caring for the poor and their needs. The parable of the sheep and the goats. The one when I was hungry you fed me. When I was thirsty you gave me to drink. When you know, you gave me when I was naked. You cared for me. You gave. You supplied. You were, you were generous and open-handed and gracious people. And it runs through all of the scripture. Shrewd in God's kingdom when it comes to stuff is generous giving. Because if giving now in, in some sense creates wealth in the age to come, use your generous, your unrighteous wealth so that you will be received into eternal dwellings. Store up your treasures, not on earth, but in heaven. You know, and if some, if, if giving now in some sense creates wealth in eternity, and we really believe that, and we really understood that the money that I gave now, the money I invested in, in God's priorities in this life, actually in some way was banked in heaven. Wouldn't we be scraping together every spare dollar we could find to, to, to invest and to give to God's work and to God's kingdom, knowing that every dollar that we invested there in some way created true wealth and true riches in heaven? No fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose? 
<clears throat> Finally, shrewd is to choose God. And that's how Jesus bottom lines this whole thing, doesn't he, in verse 13? As he finishes it out, he says, no servant can serve two masters. Right? You're thinking about this whole parable of stewardship and what do you do with your unrighteous mammon, your, your small stuff of this world? You cannot serve two masters. You love one, hate the other. You can't serve God and money. And so the shrewd believer is the one who chooses God as his Lord and master. And not mammon. Not the pursuit of mammon and wealth and the accumulation thereof. In fact, he's saying to choose God as your Lord and master is to be free from the power of mammon, right? He draws this line that whichever one you choose, you'll love the one, you'll hate the other, right? And so to choose God is to be free from the lordship of mammon, to be free from its power over us. If we choose to serve God, then money must become the servant, right? We see that to choose God, money becomes the servant. It becomes the servant in the parable. Use unrighteous wealth to accomplish eternal things and goals and hopes and riches. Trench says, Mammon, this is in your bulletin under the last point. Mammon is, in this sinful world, erected itself into a Lord and now it demands obedience from us. And we see it in our culture especially, but Jesus saw it in his day. Mammon Money, wealth, always had a power over the human heart and over the human mind. To take, not just to draw and tempt us, but to govern us. To be that, to, to take that place in our life that, that belongs to God. Which is why he says you can't have two gods. You can't serve God and money. You've got you've to choose God and wealth will serve. And in this sinful world, it erected itself into a Lord. It demands our obedience, which if we yield it, we can no longer be the faithful servants of God. Mammon must come to heel. It must be the servant. It must serve the eternal purposes. It must serve the kingdom purposes. It must come under his lordship through our stewardship. You see that running through all of this. It's through our stewardship. Right? He saves the lost through our faithful proclamation of the gospel. And he advances his kingdom and he meets the needs of the needy. And he does all of those things. How does he do it? Through our stewardship. Why are the sons of this world more shrewd about money than the sons and daughters of light? We need a vision of God. We need a vision of eternal life. We need a vision of, of, of the riches of heaven that are big enough. You know, the, all of those things about life is a vapor and it's waiting to pass and that life is short. And Lord, give me a heart of wisdom that, that learns to number my days aright, to understand that I am weak and frail and that my days are numbered and my day could be up tomorrow. On the way home, I could be, you know, taken out as the Lord, the Lord sees fit. This life is so short. We need a vision that says, you know what? There really is an eternal life. There really is a heaven. And as I do funerals and do, you know, and to say, you know what? We talk about this all the time, but at a funeral, it's a time to celebrate and to remember. This world is not my home. Right? I have a home. You know, and I, and I have an inheritance, the scripture says, that, that no eye has seen nor ear has heard or understands even what it means. 
And we need a vision of that life past this one, the afterlife. We need a vision of God and of eternal life and the riches of heaven that is big enough and strong enough to set us free from the slavery of the pervasive consumerism and materialism of our culture. We need a richer delight in God and and His kingdom is that thing which is eternal and that which will last and that which is true riches and to invest ourselves richly in the things of God. Where our treasure is there, there will our hearts be also. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 there in your bulletin, look not to the things that are seen, to the stuff, to the things in this world that have so much power over us. Look not to the things that are seen, but to those things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient. They will fail. They will not carry over. Those things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Right? How hard is it to live for e- eternal things but are unseen things? You know, my iPod and my iPad are seen. You know, my, my bathroom that needs to be updated is seen. You know, all of this stuff that we could just start making a list of life that I could spend every penny I have right now updating, upgrading, and nicening the stuff that I already have. You know, and there are just ways, and I, I'm not telling you, you know, it's between you and God and what you do, but there is this thing that says, the things that are unseen are eternal and are more important and more valuable and more lasting and true. And these are the things that must capture our hearts. Jesus says to be shrewd is to live for what is not seen. It's to live for another world. It's to live for another life. It's to live for a, a bank account that is accruing for you, but that you can't take any withdrawals just yet. It's there for retirement. Will you let God speak to you this morning about whom you serve? We cannot serve two masters. We can only really love and pour ourselves into one. Will you let him speak to us about whom we serve? Let him speak to you about faithfulness and stewardship and true treasures. Will you open your heart that he might set us free from the consumerism of our culture? Let me make one last then application when you knew where this was going because I started there. You got the 2014 budget in the mail. It's a flat budget. In fact, I think it's a little bit smaller than last year. Two things. One, we're not meeting this year's budget. We're a little bit in the red. So I would ask that if you are doing year-end giving and you have that which God has put at your disposal and you can do so, I would encourage you to consider giving a gift to your church that we might end well. Second is, as you think about next year, when I sent it out this year, for the first time I put in there a giving worksheet. It's a worksheet that we would give out to new members in the new members class, and it's really simple. You almost look at it and say, like, I need a worksheet for this. Uh, On the other hand, this is the thing. I believe, we believe that giving should be shrewd. It should be a thoughtful and deliberate act of worship, of stewardship. And because it does, sometimes I'm surprised at how little time we really stop to think on the front end. See, you know, the danger with our giving is that it it, it often ends up being a back end thing. 
right, with the leftovers, rather than a front-end thing, is I do a budget and think about what it means to be God's steward with my stuff. And on the front end of my budget, on the front end of what I do with my money, I think about how I'm going to invest myself in the things of God and the, his kingdom. And so I encourage you, you know, the worksheet is simple, and it, you know, it starts with the 10%. You know, and that 10%, you know, is, a, is something that carries over. If the law demanded 10, and we are to be generous, you know, eternity-minded, generous, kingdom-centered givers, you know, where should our giving be? And I'll let you figure that out with God. My friends, we cannot serve both God and stuff. We cannot live, live for heaven and for earth. We must choose. Our master's question calls us to thoughtfulness. What is it that I hear about you? What is it that I hear about you? What do you want your master, what what rumors do you want your master to be hearing about your stewardship? Sons and daughters of light, let us be shrewd and faithful stewards. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your generous to us, your generosity, your kindness to us. We thank you that you have loved us with a great love and that our our hope, that our um, treasure is one that is beyond measure, that is beyond this life, that is a life beyond this life, an eternal life, streets of gold, life that doesn't end, love that is rich and deep, needs that are met. You are faithful. Oh, would you help us as your stewards to be like you, faithful, generous, wise, shrewd, for your glory and for the good of your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we prepare our hearts.